Hi, everybody, it's Cheryl. And in this next episode, we invite our friend Yushin, a 1.5 gen Taiwanese American, to share about her ever evolving faith journey. Yushin is the founder of Sacred Roots Oakland, a collective that seeks to center people of color, Black, Indigenous, API, immigrants, queer, and women in pursuit of shared healing and liberation. We learn about how Yushin's own sacred roots and mystic giftings were shaped by her childhood experiences in Taiwan, her work as a longtime Christian campus minister, and her leaning into spirit-led curiosities. By nature, Yushin is deeply loving as much as she is playful, which you can sense when she talks about her two sons and her Asian mom's superpower. She is also a brave spiritual seeker and wise cultivator of spaces centered on cultural healing and teaching. After listening to Yushin's story, we think it just might spark a sense of curiosity and reflection about your own spiritual journey. Thanks for joining us. You are listening to the Oakland Asian Mom Podcast. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us in this next episode of Oakland Asian Mom. And tonight we are talking with our friend Yushin. And we invited Yushin to come on the show to share a little bit about her faith journey and how it has evolved over time. It's something that I know as her friend, um, it's been really inspiring for me to hear about her faith and how it intersects with um, so many aspects of who she is, her identity, her culture. Um, her background. So welcome, Yushin, to the show. Thank you. Before we launch off about talking more about faith, um, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about yourself, your ethnic and cultural roots, um, you know, where you grew up, and um, a little bit about your partner, and what ethnic and racial uh, identity your partner and your kids have. Well, um, so I am a 1.5 generation Taiwanese American. So I came when I was nine with my mom and my sister. And we um, are like six generation settlers in Taiwan. Um, and my partner is fourth generation Chicano. And we have two not so little kids now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're um, biracial um, boys in fourth grade and in uh, uh wait fifth grade and seventh grade oh my gosh yeah they're <laughs> they're getting bigger and bigger well um thinking about you know um, our faith journeys and this is a question for all of us um if you should if you grew up in a very specific faith tradition um you know as a in your early childhood you know what was it what memories did you have and what kind of impact did it make on you yeah, so um, I think growing up in Taiwan and Taipei, I mean, I come from a really big family, and there's just a lot of um, like cultural spirituality, right? Kind of folk religion um, that's kind of woven in Buddhism, and um, I think majority of it is Buddhism. Um, but and uh, I think what how it manifested in 
my family is um, a lot of respect for mm -hmm. the spiritual world. So, um, yeah, growing up in, in Taiwan, I think it's, like I said, it was a combination of um, just folk religion, Buddhism, and it's so woven in the culture. Um, and I think how that translated for a little girl for me back then was um, that I just had a lot of respect for the mm -hmm. spiritual world. I mean, there was never a doubt that that exists, yeah. you know, that there's worlds and there's dimensions beyond human. Um, How did you learn about that? Was it um, your your grandma, your your mom or people in your life who shared stories or was it uh, rituals or acts that you would, you know, do as a family? Yeah, I think it's stories. I think, you know, in its prayers, because we would, you know, um, we would go uh, to like the ancestral altars a lot and we talk about kind of, you know, what does it mean when our ancestors pass, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I think ever since I could remember, I always um, felt like I just intuitively have this sense of the spiritual world, you know, like mm -hmm. I just am really um, sensitive to the spirits, you know? So I would, yeah. I could sense things um, sometimes it would have a negative impact, sometimes not. Um, yeah, so there was always that awareness for me. Yeah, so then like every corner, if you see my my grandparents on my mom's side, um, you know, have been in the country, you know, in the rural area for um, like many, many generations, right? So every corner, there's like a shrine and there's mm -hmm. some kind yeah. of story that's connected to that. And, and they're ag people, right? They're farmers and so there's a lot of connection with the land and connection with the spirits um, and prayer to the spirits uh, because their livelihood is so connected to the mystical, right? Because there's mm -hmm. so much mm -hmm. out of their control. You yeah. know, their livelihood is literally dependent on a lot that's out of their control, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, Sarah, this is a question for all of us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, did you grow up in a specific faith tradition and what was it and mm -hmm. kind of what memories you have and what mm -hmm. kind of impact did it make on you? Yeah, so I grew up in the Korean immigrant church um, and uh, let's see, memories. Gosh, I have good memories and hard memories. I mean, I think the good memories is it really tied us to um, our culture and, you know, a community that spoke the same language as my parents did, peers who were also, you know, 1.5 or second generation immigrant kids. Um, and also connecting me to adults outside of my family that were really invested in me and cared mm. about me and my development. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's a pretty conservative tradition. Um, and Huh, I feel like I'm still sort of unlearning a lot of the stuff um, from that period of my life. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the other thing is um, there were a lot of power struggles in the churches I grew up going to. So um, I would say that organized religion, I mean, even though I'm part of a church and still um, identify as religious, I would say that my early experiences with organized religion were um, somewhat of a mixed bag, I would yeah. say. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm I'm grateful for the the good things that um it provided for me in my upbringing. Yeah. How about you, Cheryl? For me, I grew up Catholic um and uh, being Filipino, it's no surprise, you know, Catholic and went to growing up going to church every Sunday, uh church in the pews. Like I would, you know, the kids were part of the you know mass, you know, we would go every every Sunday. And I realized that how much Catholicism was interwoven in my cultural upbringing, right? Mm -hmm. So there were baptisms, there were holy communions, there were fiestas dedicated to your town saint. There was so much partying and family and food connected with these uh, cultural moments, right? You know, we, you know, we had the Christmas too and, um, but there was always an excuse for my mom to say we need to do a rosary or for aunties to come over to celebrate like the feast of Mary or Mother's Day or things like that. And I think it was pretty central part of the, the routine of my family mm-hmm. of being and like Saturdays were with family and friends and my god sisters and we would have like parties and then Sundays is dedicated to church. So I think having that routine be part of my life, it just, and, and now I go to a, um, you know, a Christian church. It is, um, it is something that has really, I guess, been internalized in our kind of daily schedule. Um, and it's also like amazing memories of, I was, you know, partially raised by my grandma, who was the first person I, I could remember teaching me like the different uh, you know, Christian Catholic prayers and, um, you know, doing the routines of going to bed and saying prayers at night, uh, both in Tagalog and English. So I think those early memories really, uh, I don't know, they're just really deep in there mm-hmm. and I miss it. I miss that kind of tender moments um, as, a, as a young child. And I think it was a big part of my relationship with my grandma, particularly. Um, so yeah, I think um, mostly positive. Um, the Catholic Church is really centered. The one I went to really talked about social justice and compassion and what it meant to be in service of your community. And I think those are some of the things that I really learned um, from it. I took seriously, mm-hmm. but honestly, it was really boring as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, if you go to mass, uh, the word Catholic means universal. So you could go to any uh in mass around the world. And even though you don't know the language, you may know what to do. There's a lot of movement and you, you kind of hear the sections and, you know, this is the time where they're saying like the, our father or the body of Christ. So like the modules were all the same. So, you know, I've been to Catholic church all around the world. Um, and you could be like, Oh, you just fit right in. Um, this is my place. So that part of it is kind of cool, but honestly, yeah, being a little kid in the pews, um, I think I, in boredom, I would always read like the missiles, which are these like, or I don't, I don't even know the, what to call it. These little books with the prayers or the bulletin with the advertisements in the back <laughs> <laughs> and be like, so barred, uh, but know all the real estate agents <laughs> or the businesses that supported our community. Um, so that's really different from church now, you know, uh, yeah. that I go to now. Well, you you know, we talking about faith, um, you know, how would you describe your faith today? And what are some ways it has changed since you were a young adult? Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I think a lot has happened since, you know, uh, I immigrated here. Um, I was introduced to Christianity when I came here, you know. Um, In high school or college or when? No, when I was, no, I mean, when we first immigrated here when I was nine, we went to this because, you know, like we didn't speak the language. And so there's something about immigrant churches that are like the social networks Mm -hmm. that is part Mm -hmm. of survival right yeah. and so my family got connected to a church right away and i mean i think it, they provided a lot of like social services a lot of networking and and then just a lot of indoctrination you know um and as a kid i just it was like oh cool you know we got all this free stuff and there's aunties and uncles and a lot of food and it was um, uh was it taiwanese uh, yeah, it was a okay. It's Taiwanese, so yeah, it's very strong in terms of like connection yeah. with with the, with people. Yeah, yeah. So it was a Taiwanese immigrant church. Um, so then you know there was like bilingual, right? There was like the adult Mandarin services, and then there was the English service for youth. And so eventually, when my English got good enough, I would go to the youth group. But you know, like I don't think that I was ever really interested in the theology. Mm-hmm. but more so the social connections, right? Yeah. And and the extended family. Um, yeah, but then I think it was very clear. I remember when I immigrated here, it was this very clear correlation between becoming an American and becoming a Christian, mm-hmm. you know? And, and even though there's an immigrant church with people who speak my language who look like me, um, this religion still didn't really feel like it's, really authentic right it's like something that we just translate you know Um, Mm -hmm. i mean it was this whole indoctrination it was like before we immigrated here our relatives are like okay you have to convert to christianity everybody got baptized oh wow except me when we came right and then you have to like do the sinner's prayer and all that right so so people like you know my family got baptized and had a bible and started reading you know so before we even got here and got connected to a church um, we were exposed to that. And then there was, you know, the immigrant kind of church drama, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it was funny because at that point, my mom started to get more and more interested. And so we would go church hopping. Mm-hmm. You know, we left this one immigrant church and we would go and explore. And that's when we got exposed to more denominations. And I just remember one time, like, we went to this um, Pentecostal church. And it was like watching a soap opera, right? Because oh. <laughs> we would like be in the back and people would be like slain by the spirit and speaking in tongues. And this is all like immigrants. So wow. they were, right? Like they were telling us, explaining to us in our language, like what what's happening. And so I remember we would have all this discussion, like, so what, what does it mean? Like, oh my gosh, should I go? And every week is like, should we go up? I don't know. They told us that we should go up, you know? And then it's like, but what if I fall? But what if I hurt myself? Okay, if I fall, how should I fall? I mean, it was like a total, like, we were trying to like figure it out, mm-hmm. you know, before every, and yeah. So I, I, I just remember really vividly like, oh, that's different. And again, that intrigued me because there was that mystical component again, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like that piece that like nobody could really explain. Like, is this for real? Are they like acting? Is this drama? You know, um, but yeah, it, it's that spiritual curiosity. And so how would you describe your faith today? Like if someone you've, you met and uh, you happen to talk about religion and so how would you describe it, describe to that person? I know. 
So I have come a long way, I feel like, you know, um, full circle. I think I would say that I am um, a mystic, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I am just really curious, like I am a spiritual seeker and, um, and a teacher, you know, and that is just kind of part of my nature. There's something about the seeking and teaching that just always felt like hand in hand for me. Um, I have come a long way since the immigrant church experience. Um, I've, I've actually was a campus minister for like 15 years in an evangelical um, Christian organization. So I was right. Like I was very deep in a lot of kind of the Christian evangelical ministry circles and um, theology. And I think where I'm at right now is this full circle of um, um, how do we recognize um, such mystery and depth in all of these spiritual traditions and know Mm -hmm. that not one, it's not possible for any one community to fully get it, right? To understand and have the full grasp (laughs) of what spirituality and God, who God is and what it means to be a spiritual being, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yushin, was this sort of journey one that was gradual or one that was sudden? You know, because you you mentioned that you were a campus minister Mm -hmm. and now you're um, in a pretty different Mm -hmm. space. So, yeah, I'm just kind of curious Mm -hmm. about that that shift. Mm -hmm. I think it's in some ways really gradual, right? Like I was drawn to this organization because I always knew that there's something about the spirituality that I just can't shake off. Like it's it's innate in me that mm-hmm. I am kind of a, just, I came to this life as a spiritual seeker, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there was always this inclination, there was this curiosity and this kind of curiosity that um, pushes boundaries, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, and so I think in my spiritual journey, I've traveled through these different circles. And um, the last evangelical kind of circle I was in was really a place where I could be as a lay woman of color. I could mm-hmm. explore and I could create, you know, and that's a place where I could go on these different college campuses. I could design my own programs and, you know, um, I, I did this, like, I designed this um, justice and spirituality immersion course for six weeks every summer um, and just really brought students into the spiritual curiosity with me and mm-hmm. to learn and teach, you know. And so I felt like it is a continuation in this next iteration with Sacred Roots is I just felt like, yeah, like, I um, I felt like I, I needed to push beyond those boundaries even more so right mm-hmm. to to the place where i'm at and it's interesting because i've been doing some studying with a taiwanese astrologist um and when she was reading my chart she said um jupiter is like the strongest planet in my chart and jupiter is a um is like a spiritual seeker and teacher mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and there's this kind of like spiritual curiosity that um, 
does not like boundaries and rules. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of like this indomitable faith, right? That, that cannot be suppressed or confined, but it just constantly wanting to grow and expand and learn more, you know? So I think that just really resonated with me as mm-hmm. I think about my own spiritual journey, you know? Thanks, yeah. Well, we know that you have two two boys. Um, and so how do you share your faith now with your kids? You know, um, what's the conversation like with them or your partner about all these new curiosities that you've had since they have been part of this gradual evolution of your faith? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because both of my kids are, have such different personalities. And mm-hmm. I have the respect and I have to, I'm curious about kind of how they're growing and their own kind of, right, their own um, inclinations. And so my oldest one is uh, very much about boundaries. Like he likes rules. He likes mm-hmm. to know what he is getting himself into, right? And that makes him feel secure. Um, and so when I, I often find that when I talk about spirituality, and he's very like matter of fact, like very factual and not mm-hmm. very like abstract thinker. <laughs> right. And so when I talk about like the plants, I talk about right, these like non-human lives and how they talk to us. She's like, Mama, that doesn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, that's not possible. All right. <laughs> I talk about the moon. I talk about something like that's a rock, mama. Right. <laughs> um, and so I I find that it's a different way of engaging spirituality with him. Mm-hmm. I want to yeah. respect that, you know. And so, um, I mean, he he loves reading the Bible, right? And just like, okay, so what does this mean? Like, you know, and and just really investigate in that way, in a very kind of ap- like intellectual way, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And then the little one is like all about like expansive, like you know, just talk about anything and everything. Like, what about, what do you think Buddhists believe? What do you think, you know, why do you think the moon? And like, hello, moon, look at the moon is making these waves, you know, and just having all these like fascinated curiosities and, you know, um, and that's just how he's wired, right? So I I appreciate that. And I, I find myself being able to have more creative and expansive theology conversations right um and I think I've also had conversations with my boys about difference you know because my partner and I have are very different in our theology you know Mm -hmm. um, at least now and so how do we teach our children that that is okay Mm -hmm. you know and and how how do they hold all of that complexity and I've often told them, I'm like, you know, when you get older, some people believe this, some people believe that, right? And when you get older, you're able to discern for yourself and you can choose what you want to believe. I mean, you can choose now, right? And as you collect and gather more information in, in your own discernment, you'll come to a conclusion. And maybe that conclusion will change many, many times in your lifetime and that's okay. You know, but how do we hold differences and complexity? Yeah, it's really it's really good for me to hear how you really respect um, just their being and who they are and love them without boundaries, you know, uh, because I think um, in my house growing up, 
we definitely went to church every Sunday, um, but yet I don't know if we talked too much about what it meant to go to church um, and what it meant, you know, be, beyond that, like how would it shape how we think. My faith definitely taught me how to love and honor people and relationships. You know, when you talk about you know, mythical stuff or mystic stuff. I always think about my mom and uh, all my aunties who continue to have prayers, who really believe in miracles. You know, like when um, my mom, she, you know, she goes to these pilgrimages where the Virgin Mary um, appears to children. And in the past, we've gone, she's gone to like Our Lady of Lourdes and the sacred water. She always brings back some like sacred water for me on every trip. You know, that's like her thing. And as a child, I was like, hmm, this is kind of interesting. And then as a young adult, I was like, hmm, uh, being part of the same fellowship that the three of us have been, you know, were a part of in, during college during those years, you're like, oh, what do I think about that? Or even what does this, um, you know, white evangelical kind of community that in some ways I'm a part of think of that too, right? Mm -hmm. Can I even say I come from this Catholic faith, which really believes in these like, miracles, modern day miracles. You know, we have these like little statues in our in our home uh, when other people may think that they're idols or some like some weird like Mary kind of thing that the Catholic church makes you do. Um, so to me, when I hear you, I feel like, oh, there is this unlearning and this uh, opening up mm -hmm. of the world beyond what our rational brain can actually hold, right? Mm -hmm. It is like, um, you know, we are hearing more of the term uh, unlearning, but de kind of decolonizing how we see ourselves, but also um, our maybe quote unquote religiosity or religious practices of, that we've experienced or engaged in the past. You know, mm -hmm. um, there is, I feel like such a connection between mm -hmm. um, my Christian faith and other people who experience a same movement, like a similar movement in mm -hmm. their lives, spirit or whatever they may call. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, do you have any, you know, if you reflect upon your life and your different points and your different journeys, has there been any stages or points in your life where you really leaned into your faith mm -hmm. um, and anything, maybe the opposite of where you felt very far from your faith? I guess a follow-up for that is, do you call it faith or like what, what is it? that you would call it at this point mm -hmm. of your journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that, that image of like leaning in versus kind of like um, resistance, like that tension within. And I think that I've experienced myself leaning in um, with more intense curiosity um, when I left like the 15 years, like working with this, this um, evangelical uh, Christian organization, I think that was kind of like a, that shook me, right? And mm -hmm. I had to really lean in and go, okay, so if this is not resonating with me, what are you trying to reveal more of, right? Because I think, you know, God, this image of God is always ever evolving and expanding, right? And our experiences and, um, and so I felt like there was this moment of like, okay, God is wanting to break out of a mold again, you know, and, mm. and it felt scary. And so I had to lean in closer, like, okay, so who are you really? And, 
and you're so connected to me. So who am I? You know, and that that leaning, it felt um, like a really intense season of that. <laughs> and that was the beginning of Sacred Roots, you know. Um, um, I would say that that was probably a season where I couldn't, because I'm also a very communal person. And so I, um, I, I've experienced faith in, a, in community so often in the past. And in that moment, I couldn't because there weren't mm. that many people who were ready to go where I was going, right? So it was like, I felt like I was leaving a community and my, my, my kind of mystical curiosity was like, so are you leaving me too, God, you know? Um, or is this an expansion, you know? Yeah. Um, so that felt like challenging, but in an appropriate and needed necessary way, you know? Well, yeah, I think when there are moments where we feel um, either way, like you, you described leaning into just a different aspect of our faith life, or we feel far removed, there is this sort of risk involved of like, what does it mean if I declare myself X, Y, and Z? Like, how will my my kind of faith community see me now as like, they're always like this tension of like, without maybe a church to organize us, right? Would, would there be enough to stay connected as friends, as, as just people we enjoy, you know, mm -hmm. I think, um, I came out of, you know, coming out of college, uh, feeling this, like, I really want to live out this faith, right. This kind of maybe idealism of what it meant to, um, live out your faith in your profession in your personal life in your community, very inter interconnected, right. Integrated. Um, and now, Sometimes Sarah and I text each other, we're like, wow, we're just happy that we go to church or we feel like we're part of some kind of faith community because there's so many of our peers, our age, or um, maybe it's not just our, our peers that, that are not digging in or still developing curiosities about their faith for whatever reason, no judgment, just life sometimes takes over mm -hmm. and there are different struggles and different things that people need to focus their energy on. I'm all about that. But there is something about, for me, it feels like there's still something I need to be part of that still connects me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I see that there is a risk um, when mm -hmm. you, when you want to uh, mm -hmm. forging your own path. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's like, you know, I talk about leaning in and there's a different kind of, lean, right. There's the leaning in of like, Ooh, this is so compelling. I'm, I'm going to pay attention. Right. And in that moment is like, I couldn't ignore what was happening in my spirit. It's like, no, is bigger than this mm -hmm. and I'm gonna pay attention, right? Um, and then there's the leaning in that like the, um, well, that the second part of your question of like when it has felt challenging. And I, I think that there's this inner discernment when I know that I'm not being authentic. Mm -hmm. When I know that I am actually giving up my agency, my inherent connection and I'm allow I'm asking other people to prescribe to me what I ought to believe. Isn't that what colonization is, though? Right? Yeah, it's like I'm yeah. I'm allowing I'm giving away, and and so to abide under that prescription in a way that doesn't feel authentic to me. That feels like a different challenge, 
mm. you know, in my, in, in spirit, you know? Well, you mentioned sacred roots and being a part of that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what sacred roots is and how did you become involved in this community? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sacred roots really birthed out of that, that leaning in that I was talking about, right? That spiritual, um, I think there's more, right? There's this expansiveness and this inclusivity that I um, felt like I wanted to be a part of. Um, I wanted to be a part of cultivating sanctuary that is beyond what I've experienced. Um, And thinking about, especially thinking about those on the margins, thinking about those in the movement, the social justice movements that are deeply spiritual um, deeply active, um, and at times deeply misunderstood, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do we create sanctuary? And so Sacred Roots, we used to have a physical property. Um, so that was part of the vision of like, okay, how do we think about sanctuary in a different way? Not, not necessarily kind of connected to any kind of religion, but sanctuary in this broader way. Um, so we physically provided sanctuary for recently arrived migrants, um, for historically displaced black and brown folks. And then we had this um, community space and this like um, community garden that was um, dedicated to this collective cultivation of thriving and liberation, you know, among black indigenous people of color, you know, so Mm -hmm. it was very clear from the start that this is going to be a place that centers BIPOC um, and that it's going to be this expansive spiritual space. Um, and then from there, we started um, this um, Healers of Color Collective, you know, and we started to really, and these are people who, um, BIPOC folks who have um, been deep in their traditions um, mm-hmm. and in their spiritual traditions and in their healing traditions. And I felt like, whoa, like the spirit brought this community together. And these are all kind of people who are asking the same questions, who are like rooted and grounded in their traditions and expanding and wanting to create sanctuary together. How did you, how did you connect with the other members of your collective? Yeah, I think through just because I've, you know, I've been in Oakland for, about 18 years. And I, even when I was working with the evangelical um, organization, I was doing work in Oakland, right? So Mm -hmm. I was doing some organizing in Oakland. So I think it's through that work, you know, among activists and justice practitioners and stuff that I, I I just know that circle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then I just felt like I was in a different place. Um, You know, they often say, like, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like, whoa, all these, you know, really wise people came around me and really believed in the vision and formed this together, you know. Um, So our collective now is like 10 plus people Mm -hmm. and all BIPOC folks Mm -hmm. um, who have kind of that similar vision, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, I wonder for those out there who are listening, who are of maybe more of a traditional Christian evangelical or not faith, 
if you hear like, oh, that doesn't sound like it's, you know, Jesus centered or Christian centered, what would your response be to that kind of perspective out there? Which I know is, um, you know, exists, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it depends on what it means to be Jesus centered, right? I think we're very much centered on um, hospitality, you know, radical hospitality, right relations with Mm -hmm. earth, you know, people and self. Um, Yeah, I think there is definitely um, some theological difference in that, right? Like even like to kind of talk through like, what is the value in in having people remember and reclaim their ancestral traditions and wisdoms. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of evangelical circles would have issues with that, right? Yeah. Like, I think that was one of the things that I had to unlearn is like all the ways that I had to give up my practices and my values. You know, that is um, one of the things that I had to give up when I became a Christian, right? Just the, that theology of like, there is no room for ancestral practices that don't align with how Christians interpret mm-hmm. scripture, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that that's hard too. Yeah. You should, could you kind of share some spiritual traditions that you've been learning from recently, mm-hmm. either part of your collective or outside mm-hmm. of it? Yeah. I mean, I think even like when we talk about like that, that whole decolonizing theology, right? Like, I remember um, a lot of the healers that in, in the circle, right, they do um, like energy healing, right? Mm-hmm. Intuitive energy and speaking to the body. Like, I mean, I was deep in the spiritual world in the evangelical circle, right? And I mean, there's so many times when that would have been called demonic, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or like talking to your, praying to your ancestors, Mm-hmm. Right? That was one of the things that I was told when I became a Christian that that's a no-no, you know? Yeah. Um, or, right, so some of the energetic stuff or, or astrology, right? Like what, I mean, um, Chinese culture and spirituality is deeply rooted in astrology. Mm-hmm. But, right, like that has been deemed insignificant at best or, again, demonic, you know, mm-hmm. or like you know, some kind of idolatry or not align with the Christian theology in some ways, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's astrology. We have like a numerologist, you know, um, African numerologist who um, talks about like, you know, ever since the start of beginning of life, people have been looking at numbers and, mm-hmm. you know, studying numbers and, um having relationship with number in that way, right? Again, it's that mystical, you know? Um, so, right, like in the evangelical circles, like what is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I come back to like, do we trust that we inherently have this innate alignment with the spirit, with the divine that we can discern and that we don't have to be that afraid, right? Yeah. It's that fear-based theology. And I had to really wrestle with that right every time I encounter a new practice I'm like whoa wait what you know and then do I trust that I have that discernment Uh, uh oh no Mm -hmm. this this feels and then I think that in my own kind of conversion process you know um since I started sacred roots it's like 
over and over again, I think I just have been wowed. The spirit has wowed me in this continual revelation that like the Christian world world does not dominate, right? It does mm -hmm. not monopolize intercession. Like Buddhist monks do this like deep intercession, right? And has immense impact. I didn't know that because I was in this, right? Or um, the Christian's um, world does not monopolize prayer ministry. I did so much prayer ministry in this evangelical framework for years. I was trained in that. And then I met these healers who have no Christian background. And I go, oh, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I feel mm -hmm. it in my spirit. It's the same thing, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's when I really had to challenge this faith. I mean, this fear-based theology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you were talking, Yushin, I, I think about um, as a Catholic, you, you, at mass, you would celebrate the Eucharist, the communion, this wafer turns into the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And as a kid, I was like, really? It's just a really bland wafer. Um, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of like rules about, you know, you can't eat before you take communion, you know, like because of the sacredness of it. Mm -hmm. And I think about it now, the fact that we can believe that we are really partaking and this is Jesus's body because mm -hmm. this is what he did for us. It's mm -hmm. sort of to me super deep and super like, oh, there is this miracle happening. Mm -hmm. And to take that quite seriously really takes a level of undoing uh, of your rational mind mm -hmm. in some mm -hmm. ways, you know, right. because we're such Western rational like society. But to really believe it, I was like, wow, that is just more deeper of a faith than, you know, I want to strive for. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, it makes sense where, you know, as a Christian, we believe we're created in the image of God. I'm like, well, yeah, then we get to have this communion, this sacred thing every week to remind us that we are actually part of him, you know, part mm -hmm. of part of this like faith that I really, really believe in. So it makes me think about those things I experienced as a kid. And now I'm like a full grown adult thinking about how would I see it differently now, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a more kind of lighthearted take on things, but um, with both of my kids, when they were babies, I would see them just like staring in a corner as though they're seeing something, yeah. you know, like, yeah. like angels. I just, my sense was like, oh, I just think they can see things that uh -huh. we can't see, you know, in terms yes. of like, suspending our rational minds like mm -hmm. it's just with both of them I always felt like yeah I just have the sense and I also think like young children for myself as a child and also my kids like you know there's this um you know you get scared of the dark really easily and you sense things and I, I sort of feel like there's something to that you know mm -hmm. I mean mm -hmm. um like where is that coming from you know it's like yeah so just kind of mm -hmm. adding um, like common experiences in childhood to, right. you know, being more aware and maybe open to mm -hmm. the, the spirit, like spirits in the spiritual realm. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like we're born intuitively knowing. Right. And, and then, and then as we grow, there's um, doctrines and theology that's prescribed to make sense of what we intuitively know. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's where it differs depending on, 
who raised you, you know, and what doctrines you prescribe. Yeah. If you think about kids, I feel like there's this like closeness with nature and maybe Mm -hmm. the spiritual realm that, and there's lack of maybe less fear of going for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. saying, Oh, I'm going to talk to this little butterfly. She's my friend and she follows me around or like, you know, like um, appreciating that. And we chop it off. It's like, Oh, that's just kids being kids and imaginative. Mm -hmm. But at some point our society says that's kind of odd if you keep on doing that. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The invisible friends, right? That kids have, like, mm-hmm. are they really invisible? <laughs> you know, <laughs> or we like to think that they're invisible. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Yushin, just for sharing parts of your journey and um, the ways in which you leaned into your own self and your own intuition um, in kind of coming to a different place spiritually. Um, we wanted to end with some fun questions for you. So the first one is, what is your Asian mom superpower? And the second is, what is your favorite Asian mom saying? So either one you heard <laughs> growing up or one that you tell your boys. Hmm. It's my mom's superpower. Um, I don't know if it's a superpower, but um, I think I just really appreciate that my kids because they go to a bilingual school so and then i you know i mean i'm in a biracial (laughs) marriage and so you know the in-laws and my partner don't speak chinese Mm -hmm. so i think i don't know if it's a superpower but i find it very um helpful (laughs) that um i can have the secret language with my kids So anytime when I don't want their friends, I mean, their friends speak Mandarin too, so that won't work. But anytime when I want, don't want like the, the in-laws, the family, relatives, the cousins, you know, to know what we're saying or even when we're talking about them, yeah. I literally could do it in the same room. Oh, that <laughs> is awesome. a great superpower. And the, and the kids will be like, I mean, this is kind of terrible sometimes when they're with their cousins. They're like, that was very spoiled. <laughs> wow, did you see that, mom? That was very spoiled. I'm like, okay, stop. <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, my mom, I don't speak Tagalog very well, but I pretty much could comprehend a lot. And so that's exactly what my mom would do <laughs> when we're in the grocery store uh-huh. and she has a lot to say about the people around oh, us. Yeah. Especially in, in Safeway where there's it's not an Asian store, right? So yeah. we're not like... In, in fear of like, you know, we're not in, we're safe. There's not yes. Filipinos around. Yes. And she'd just be like talking, talking, talking. And I'm like, I sometimes would be like, oh my God, what are you saying? <laughs> I mean, the thing is my kids really like it too. Cause they're like, oh yeah. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like Mandarin's an easy language for your in-laws or partner to, to brush up. up yep, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, if it was Spanish, they'd be like, hmm, what are yeah. you saying? Just like put that in Google Translate. <laughs> yeah. Mandarin? No way. I know, right? <laughs> so um, what is your favorite Asian mom saying then? Oh, gosh. I don't know if it's my favorite, but I just think it's funny. That um, I don't think my kids think it's that funny, though. But um, I just like, sometimes I just remember things that my 
my parents or my grandparents would say, you know, and then it doesn't really make sense, but then I say it anyways in, in Mandarin. And so there was like, um, you know, when my kids are like wasting food or they're not eating all their food, you know, I'd be like, you know what? You know, like, and it's like, well, what does that mean? It's like, the thunder god is gonna smack you. <laughs> I love it. And then my kid, my kid with my younger one's like, Mama, thunder doesn't even smack. I'm like, you know what? You're right. But you get the idea. <laughs> it's lightning, Mama. You sure it's not lightning? Well, no. It's, no, I think it's thunder. <laughs> Does it work? Or do they just give you a laugh? Um, don't eat it. Because, you know, and in essence, they I mean, I don't think they're scared of the thunder god, but they'll eat it because they know they're supposed to. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they don't want to take their chances. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but, like, they'll be on the street and somehow, like, they'll feel like some kind of, I don't know, wind <laughs> or invisible, like, slap or something. And they'll be right. like, oh, my God, see, mom was right. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Or like the pimple. I mean, I laugh at that too. So I'm like, okay, you don't need to take this seriously because you know. But I'm like, you know what my mom used to say? If you don't finish your rice, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So the pimple, you would get a pimple or a pockmark. Because I think in in, in the Filipinos is like, it's like you get a pockmark or something. And I guess, you know, that's, that's not as attractive, you know? (laughs) No, I heard that as many pieces of rice left in your bowl is as many pimples will be on your face. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm sure there's a Korean version of that, but I didn't grow up hearing it. I mean, I also like always ate all my rice. (laughs) There was no occasion. (laughs) You don't got to worry. Yeah. I had a very healthy That's why you have such good skin, Sarah. (laughs) Maybe. See, there's something to it. Oh, no. I really don't, though. (laughs) So, Yusha, when your mom said these things to you growing up, what was your reaction or response to her? I mean, I just rolled my eyes. I mean, I can't, like, you know, I mean, it's like my my parents are like, they're not even like Chinese Americans, right? They're like straight up like Taiwanese. So, um, they don't play. So it's like you can't you can't even express like you can't roll your eyes. But in, you internally, internally internally my eyes yeah. are rolling for sure. Right? Like whatever. That is a classic Asian kid response. The internal eye roll that no one can see. Exactly. But my kids don't even bother to internally do that. Internalize that. And you just say, oh, my gosh, this generation, right? You just. (laughs) You don't know how good you have it. Exactly. (laughs) You will know when you have kids, if you have kids, what we're talking about. But, you know, it doesn't help when your partner also rolls their eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, every time we go to your house to have food, you should. I'm I eat all the all the rice. So. (laughs) Um, it's always so good and yummy that I will eat every single piece of rice, especially if it's white rice, because my kids love white rice. Ooh, I know, oh, right? Yeah. So yeah, none of that brown stuff. Just give nope. us the white rice. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks again, Yushin, for joining us. We we appreciate hearing all your stories and your reflections and just um, your honest, you know, authentic self. And as it, and um, yeah, we're we're with you. In, in terms of your curiosity and appreciate everything about it. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care and don't forget to call your mom. <laughs>